Welcome to GM Street. I'm Tate Frazier, and on the line in a remote location, Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I am. I'm pretty good, Tate. You know, I'm at 48 hours for the NBA draft. Uh, Sixers make big trades, so yep. uh, you know. You know, it's the second year in a row they had the first pick of the draft, and everybody's taking credit for it. So uh, the Hanky, all the Hanky fans are coming out of the woodwork. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, they're not out of the woodwork. No, actually, I take that back. They're always out. They're a full force. What's What's funny to me is that last week we had this podcast, and you seem very stressed. You you know, you had the number three pick at this time. The big trade hasn't been made. Everyone's you know in, in Philadelphia land is like, should we trade back? Should we try to get more than one pick? Blah blah blah. Now you have the number one pick. It's pretty much locked in. You're going to get Markel Fultz. Sixers fans, I've never seen a group of fans be so excited before a game has even been played. They've already they're tweeting out pictures of the three guys together. They're, they actually only have one picture when they're all together, and Robert Covington is actually in the picture. So you right. know, people are like photoshopping the three of them on the floor. My only my only fear, and this is what I'll say to you, Lombardi, because you know you're a true Sixers fan and you've seen a lot. I just hope that Fultz's knees are they hold up, and I hope that they all actually are healthy and get to play together. Because if they do get to play, I think it'll be fun. But I don't know. I, I think would, Photoshop's going to play a big role in the 76ers season based on just the, 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 the amount of games these guys miss for hemorrhoids and coughs and flus and symptoms. I mean, it's amazing how much time. I mean, you know, Embiid pays 31 games. Simmons missed the whole season. Yeah. We've never seen these guys on the court. And that would, that's what concerns me is, is that's where I think the Henke fans – really misevaluate. Now I'm writing an article this week about the Rams and why the Rams have been so unsuccessful. You know, it's funny, Tate. The Rams have, since 1990, they've only been in four playoffs games, mm. four playoff series. Yeah. They've won one Super Bowl. I mean, they've been in four. They've been in five, but they've only been ten wins or more four times. Mm-hmm. And the fifth year they went to the playoffs, they were at 8-18. Eight and, eight and the Rams were run in a style by an accountant who believed in assets and liabilities, much like this Hanky guy does. And therefore, there was no culture. Therefore, there was no uh, uh, ability to build a, a winning organization. And I think Brett Brown, I think the only thing that gives me some sense of comfort is the head coach of the Sixers, Brent Brown, I like mm-hmm. a lot. I think he can blend the team together. And at, at the end of the day, I wasn't really that 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 upset about it because I didn't think they really overpaid for it. If they would have given up a lot of assets, I would have gone crazy. But it, I didn't think they gave up that many assets. I think it's good for the Sixers. I, I, I like the optimism. I like the positivity in Philadelphia. They need that every once in a while. When I when I always when I always thought of Philadelphia fans, it just seemed like people spitting while yelling at players. And now you know I see this whole hinky thing, and everyone seems happy. Everyone seems excited. So I'm more just pulling for the positivity in Philadelphia. And you seem like. Uh, you you guys have been through it. What what was the record? You guys have lost two hundred and seventy three games in the past. Uh, I mean, look, we've had Roy Rubin. Like that. We've yeah. had Roy Rubin from the Long Island Blackbirds. He was a college coach that became the coach. They won nine games. I mean, we've endured pretty much a lot. But the best is that fan that was giving Russell Westbrook the, the finger on the opening day last yeah. year. Remember that? that yeah. guy? Yeah. I mean, when that, Russell Westbrook know, did the point at him, like, is this guy being serious? <laughs> yeah. So good. All right, it's football time. Let's talk about some football. We, uh, it's kind of going to be on a bit of a sour note. Uh, we're talking about culture, a culture that seems to be, you know, since like 2009, Sean Payton's created quite the culture down in uh, New Orleans with the Saints. There was some unfortunate news with the Saints. Their left tackle, Taron Armstead, who 
had been there, uh, got injured last year to the IR. But this Saints offensive line was actually ranked by ESPN in December as the the top-ranked offensive line in the NFL last season because, you know what, Lombardi? They don't get penalized, and uh, it's a big loss right. for Armstead to be out. He tore his labrum. He's going to be out four to six months. He's going to undergo surgery, actually. Went, went under surgery yesterday, so now uh, he'll start the rehab process. But when you just look at that Saints offensive line and this blow in general, I mean, what does it mean for the Saints, and what does it mean you know, for Drew Brees, who's a you know, an old quarterback that is used to being a, an elusive guy, but now he's going to have to do a little bit more this season. Well, I, I think two things. First, Armstead's a really good player. I mm-hmm. mean, Armstead's one of the better left tackles in football. So you lose a really good player, which they, he's been on IR two years in a row now, and yep. they've gave him a sixty-five million dollar extension. Right so they haven't that. really gotten right before this because he is that good of a player. And you know, he's punching a bag in an OTA day, and he tears his he tears a you know he's got a tricep or a labrum injury or whatever yep, he has, labrum. and then therefore he misses time. And then really the injury that really to me is the one that's significant is Max Unger. Mm-hmm. And Unger's going to miss time too because Unger is the glue to everything that the Saints do. What the Saints have always believed in and why they've been so effective and why Drew Brees has been so effective is the way they build their pass protection, their tackles vertically set, so therefore they want those rushers to widen up the field. And Brees being short, he'll step up into the pocket. What they really want and why they signed Larry Warford to a lot of money, why they put Pete inside a first-round pick who thought was over left tackle. They want to build a firm pocket so Breeze can step up. They mm-hmm. want that pocket. They don't want anybody in the paint. They don't want anybody driving in the paint. They want no John Walls coming in there driving and trying to make a layup. They want to keep the paint clean. And with Unger not healthy, they don't really have a center on this team. So now you lose two players. You lose Armstead and you lose the center. Yep. They draft Ryan Ramstek. He's also hurt. You know, he's coming off an injury. They've been working him at left tackle. Yep. He's got a hip injury. So when he comes back, will he be good enough at left tackle? And can he play left tackle? Is he going to be the answer? Is Khalif Barnes going to have to go in there and play? So for me, I think this injury, they can overcome the Armstead injury. And I think this, Tate, when you, know, when you get an injury in May and June, it's a little bit like Rocco told Michael Corleone in Godfather 2. It's difficult to overcome, but not impossible. Yeah. You can overcome them now because you have time. You can work some things around. When you get this in week four of the season and you've got to move this guy over here and that guy over there, that becomes really a tough challenge. So for Sean Payton and the offensive line coach, Dan Rauscher, they, they, got, they can go in there and say, look, here's what we have to do. We've got to, you know, we'll put Ramshack over there. We'll, we'll help him. The question's going to be who's going to be the center? Is it Chris Ray? Wait, who they just signed? I don't think it's going to be the guy. They need a firm pocket guy in there. And I think the Saints will be on the waiver wire. I think they'll be looking for a lot of teams trying to find that guy somewhere because that's the injury to me that's going to be the most telling for the Saints offensive line. And how tough is it as a GM when you have this type of situation where, you know, free agency has passed, you've already had the draft. I mean, luckily for them, they drafted Ryan Ramchek. I mean, luckily for them, they made that trade uh, to get the last pick in the draft from the Patriots and draft Ryan Ramchek. Was, he was the 32nd pick. But uh, for them as the Saints, as the organization, as a GM, is it tough to have that situation happen where, you know, you're really banking on Armstead to come back since he was out last year to really make it, you know, make the step forward and, and, and do well on that contract that you just gave him. And then, you know, know Jariah Evans who was a guy who was their right guard who comes from Seattle he goes and signs with the Packers in free agency you have all those moving parts I mean is it frustrating as a GM when this stuff happens or is this more of the same where you know you're kind of used to it and you have to adjust on the fly and that's what every team's doing 
you got enough time to do it. You got enough time to find a guy. Yeah, that's what you get paid to do. You know, it's the scene in Apollo 13 where they throw all that crap on the table and they tell <laughs> yeah. you, we got to make this into that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where you are at this time of the year. When you get into the season, you know, those guys are going to get stuck up in space. There ain't no way you're going to bring them home. Yeah. Now you got a chance to get them back. And I think that's where Sean Payton is. And I think if they can get some, you know, they're going to run the ball a little bit more. And they got Breeze. And Breeze, they can play an inexperienced guy at center because Breeze is going to make all the calls. Yep. Breeze is going to do all the mic points. Breeze is going to tell everybody who to block. Breeze is going to get everything handled. So all they've got to do is execute. They need a firm guy inside. And whether they can find that guy or not, and I think the pressure is on poor Dan Rosher. He's going to find a guy. And that's why offensive line coaches really should be the highest paid coaches in in the NFL. They should be the highest paid assistants because they coach five guys. And if they hit on a guy, if they turn a free agent or a college, a guy who was a seventh or sixth round pick into a starting lineman and mm-hmm. really what works out well, he's worth his weight in gold. And if yep. he can develop players like Dante Skarnecki can do for New England, you know, you can do it. When we were in, when Belichick and I were in Cleveland together, you know, the the first couple of years we struggled like crazy. You could read the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Bernie Kozar was saying we couldn't pick offensive linemen. It was horrible. He was getting beat up. We hired Kirk Ferentz, who's now the head coach of Iowa. All of a sudden, we became really good evaluators of offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. We had like seven or eight offensive linemen, and it was just amazing just because Ferentz could develop the player. We knew what we were looking for, and I think that's where the Saints are. They know what they're looking for. They may not have a household name, but they'll find somebody to fit in. The center position is the most important one. they got to fix that. And for people that don't remember, uh, Max Unger was actually the guy, the center for the Seattle Seahawks. That was the big, the big deal or the big chip that was sent over from Seattle for in that Jimmy Graham trade in 2015. Right. So Unger comes over to see uh to the Saints, you know, has been a big big integral part of that and I, honestly at the, when that trade happened everyone looked at it as if, you know, Jimmy Graham the Seahawks really stole one, but you know, they've really missed Unger in Seattle and you know Russell Wilson has missed him and once he comes back from that foot injury, I mean, obviously that will help out the Saints a lot. I do have a, uh some good news for the Saints. Zach Streif who is their right tackle um who may end up being their left tackle depending on things work out. He said that Ramchek is a, a sponge is what he said is the quote he's a sponge and he said Ryan's got talent and he's able to convert a verbal message into a physical action and I think that's the right. biggest thing when you look at offensive linemen at least from what I've watched over the years is that you know you can tell someone something but the the to get those big guys the big uglies to be able to to get a message and to be able to do that with their body and be able to move in those ways I mean those are really the key things that make you a good player and you know Ramchek was a D3 guy that went to Wisconsin and did really well and he seems to be saying all the right things so hopefully the Saints have a bright future with uh, Ramchek there and then Armstead hopefully he gets well soon. And I think, look, by knowing this, Peyton knows that he's got to work his game plan a little differently, that he's not going to be able to leave the left tackle out there, especially on third and seven, and leave him mm-hmm. without a little chip or without something helping him on the way out. So you can prepare for it. But, again, you know, losing left tackles, there's no you don't have two backup left tackles that are just really good players. It's hard to overcome, and, and I think that that's where the Saints, at least they have enough time and they can move some pieces around. And, look, we know this. The Saints are going to run the ball a little bit more because they need to make play-action passes down the field, and I think that's where you'll see the Adrian Peterson, you'll see the Mark Ingram, you'll see them start to run the ball a little bit more. And I, and I think Sean's a good enough play caller that he'll work around the left tackle. The and, center is where he's going to have a trouble working around. Yeah, and th- this gives a, you know, for someone like Adrian Peterson who's not necessarily known for helping in pass protection if he's in those situations and he's asked to chip a guy on the left side because they're worried about that left tackle. I mean, that's just something fun to watch as a fan to see Adrian Peterson sort of kind of age into that position where, you know, he's not not just a superstar running back. 
it's going to be interesting to see how much they get out of Peterson in the passing game. Was it Minnesota couldn't do it? Yep. Or and the Saints do it. To me, that's the question. If they get something out of Peterson, if they get him in space as big as he is, and even though he may be declining in terms of where he is as a player, but if they get him in space in the passing game with all the screens, the best screen team in football, Tate, mm-hmm. this is by far the best screen, and they have 14,000 screens. They can run them from every different direction, and they execute them really well, and you can't tell they're coming. I think what you'll see there is you'll see – if Peterson is able to be effective in the passing game, that'll take a lot of pressure off the left tackle. And we've seen Peterson this offseason. I mean, there's been a lot of stories where, you know, he's taken offense to people saying that he can't catch the football out of the backfield, that he's a one-trick pony, all this stuff. So who knows? Maybe AP has a, a new day down in uh, New Orleans. Another guy, uh, this is going to be the Torn Labrum uh, podcast, it looks like. Detroit, their left tackle, Taylor Decker, is actually, uh, he has suffered a torn labrum as well. He was actually tweeting at uh, Armstead, and they were both commiserating over the fact that they had to, deal with these tough injuries. He just had surgery on June 5th, and he is also out four to six months. So the Lions are dealing with this. They just made the trade for Greg Robinson. They just signed Cyrus Quanjo, uh, so they have a little Alabama-Auburn thing going on with their left tackle position now. Um, when you look at the Lions, I mean, Decker is obviously a big loss for them, but do you think yeah. they can find something with the second-chance guys in Quanjo and Robinson bringing them into Detroit? I- I think it's going to be really hard. I think that, that Robinson's proven he's not a left tackle. I think I think it's going to be a challenge for them to find one. I, I just don't see how Ron Prince, the O-line coach, is going to be able to, to kind of find a way to get Robinson. And, and Stafford's a lot different than Breeze. Stafford doesn't mm-hmm. – you know he'll step up in there, but Stafford will move around a little bit, and he needs his left tackle. I mean, this is why I think Bob – Quinn, the general manager of the Lions, put so much money in his offensive line. He knows they're going to sign Stafford to a huge contract. They know they've got to keep him healthy. Yep. So he put a lot of money. You know, T.J. Lange, he spent a lot of money for, spent a lot of money for Ricky Wagner. He had Taylor Decker over left tackle. So he's building this line, and he's feeling like, you know, we got something going. Losing Decker is going to be hard. And I think the guy that you didn't mention, Corey Robinson, who's kind of been, you know, he's played a little bit. They've kind of gone back and forth with him, whether he can stay healthy and durable enough. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he could get a look here. I think the Lions are a team in transition. You know, they won nine games last year. They made the playoffs. They barely made the, They limped into the playoffs. Yeah, barely. This Decker injuries to me, is going to be hard for them to overcome. It's going to be hard for Stafford, for him to overcome it. And, you know, I know they've tried to make some improvements to their defense, but the reality of it is, for me, I, I just don't know if there's enough depth on their defensive line for them to do it and to overcome offensive line, excuse me. And I, I just think Detroit is not talented enough as a football team to duplicate what they did last year. So losing Decker, to me, really hurts them. And what's fu- it's funny that you say that uh, Robinson is not a left tackle because Jim Caldwell came out and explicitly said that uh, Quanjo and Robinson are quote unquote both left tackles. So he is not quite seeing. Well, the that's same what thing. they are on paper. They <laughs> yeah, look good on, on paper. paper. You know, it's like the Seventy Sixers. You got a nice team on paper. You know, they got a. That's why everybody around here is on paper. You know, it's it's they look good. You know, you fill a depth chart out on paper, mm-hmm. but when the game starts to go, and if you leave Greg Robinson with an open edge over there on that side, whether it's Clay Matthews coming off the corner, whether it's going to be, you know, any of those any of those rushers from Minnesota that get a chance to go over there. I mean, you're playing, you know, Detroit has a challenge. They play Minnesota in the dome, crowd noise, tough yep. for left tackle. You're going to have to protect him. Robinson can't hear. It's going to be hard for him to pass protect. They go to they go into Green Bay, tough place to play. You know, tough place to hear. They get a snap count advantage. You know, these those are four games where your left tackle has to be really good. And I'm just not sure Robinson's going to be able to handle that. And whether they can handle it as an offensive line remains to be seen. 
this is where depth plays such an important part. And I don't know if the Lions have enough depth, especially in their offensive line. Yeah, but another guy, Quanjo, I mean, he is, people remember him from Alabama, the 2013 team. He was an All-American. He was a big five-star recruit. I mean, his brother was, you know, sort of the same way. They were just high-profile guys coming out of high school. And then, you know, he was drafted second round, goes 44 to the Bills. And then Chantrell Henderson, you know, takes a spot with the Bills. I mean, he plays a little bit last year due to injury. He has a very weird offseason, uh, and he has that hip injury, has surgery that he's coming back from. I mean, is this one of those situations where, you know, he gets his second chance, Quanjo, and maybe becomes, maybe can turn it into something where he can be a star and actually tap back into that talent? Because what we saw in Buffalo was nothing like what we saw at Alabama. And if he actually becomes that same kind of guy, I mean, who knows? Detroit maybe has a, a huge influx of talent, or either it goes the opposite way where you have two guys that really are just kind of washed up at this point. Yeah, they're, they're kind of rolling the dice here a little bit. I think, you know, Quanjo's a guy that looked better at Alabama than he has at any time in pro football, yeah. whether it's health, whether it's the injuries. Or what happened? But when he gets drafted in the second round of Buffalo, you know they got they got Cordell, they got Gowdy at left tackle, so they were fairly set. They needed Quanjo to be the right tackle. Couldn't really handle that. Got beat out. Never really could find a home. Maybe change of scenery will do both players good. I think Ron Prince has got his work cut out for him. I think this is one of those situations where you know Jim Caldwell is going to demand that these guys become left tackles, and I think it's going to be whether they can do it in the preseason. The challenge is really going to be on them. I just don't see it happening especially for the way Stafford plays. He needs really good protection on his blind side. It's a challenging job for him. I don't see either guy being able to do it. And I think this is why Detroit's going to take a little step backwards. I just can't see Detroit winning those games, close games down the stretch like they did last year. I think depth's going to be a problem. And last year was the first year that we saw Jim Caldwell smile on the sidelines. So it, lo- <laughs> it, it looks like that we know we may lose that this season, unfortunately, if things don't go right uh, on the offensive line. Let's jump into another guy that unfortunately is dealing with some injury problems down in Jacksonville, and that's Jalen Ramsey. Uh, yeah. he, he went under the knife to repair uh, what the team is calling a core muscle injury uh, that happened during OTAs. They say it shouldn't overlap into the start of the season. He's already tweeting stuff out saying, you know, to all my fans and supporters, I'm going to attack rehab, you know, saying all the, the right stuff stuff he's going to be fine but Ramsey's probably the guy coming into his second year for the Jaguars that really needs to be the big name on that defense I mean obviously there's Dante Fowler and there's big name guys but he's probably the face of that defense on the Jaguars I mean do you think this will hinder Ramsey and the Jags defense this offseason you know obviously he got to get healthy I mean the kid looked like and in this scheme you know they remember now they they might have changed coaches Gus Bradley's not there but they're not yeah. they didn't change coordinators Todd Wash is still there defense coordinator they're still going to run the Seattle style of scheme which really predicates the corners to be free safeties that play corner and that's why Ramsey's so effective for him because Ramsey can make plays on the ball he had 65 tackles last year to, you know 14 passes broken up two interceptions mm-hmm. he can find and track the football the key for Jacksonville more than anything Ramsey gets healthy. They've got another corner in, in A.J. Boyer. They found him. You know, they signed him to a huge contract. They get Barry Church in there. They got Gibson. I mean, this is a high-paid. You know, you got a first. Pick, you got a first-round pick in 16. Gibson's a high-priced free agent. Church, and then you got Boyer, a high price. I mean, they paid money for the secondary. Yep. The key is going to be the front. The key is going to be can Dante Fowler grow up? Can Dante Fowler play attention to detail? Can he rush the passer better than he showed last year? and show power when he rushes the passer and not just be a speed-edge guy that people just wash past. I think Fowler's the key component here. You know, the third-round pick in 16, the kid from Maryland, I don't know how to say his last name, he really was the better rusher of, of anybody that they had down there last year in their defensive front. 
And he showed that he can do it when play with power and rush and speed to power. This is a big year for Fowler. I think Campbell being there, Kelly's Kelly's Campbell being there helps. But I think Fowler's got to be the guy. He's got to be the guy to make Jacksonville's defense because for all the talk that we have about Seattle and their secondary, which is wonderful, the front controls the game. And if the the front doesn't play well, then it's not going to matter who's in the back end. But when you look at guys like a Telvin Smith, I mean, he really can take that leap next year in his fourth year, too, because Telvin Smith is one of my favorite linebackers to watch in football coming out of Florida State. I mean, he uh, I think he's almost had a uh, hundred tackles the past two years. He's been he's been something to watch. He's probably the one bright spot on the on the Jags defense other than Ramsey that I enjoy watching uh, on a consistent I mean, basis. They're good. Look, they're, they, they've got some really good players. I mean, Malik Jackson, when he was in Denver. Tate, he was one of the best defensive tackles. Now they paid him a lot of money, and maybe he's over. Maybe he's now no longer hungry. He's one of the best defensive tackles in football. He was, even though he didn't have a lot of sacks in terms of production, his hurries on quarterbacks and getting in the paint was unbelievable. He was really a good player. They need Sheldon. They need all these defensive linemen to, to take a step. They've got speed. Miles Jack. Now we didn't see much of Miles Jack. Yeah. Miles Jack's got a chance to be a really good player. If he's healthy and he's ready to go, you know, and he can turn it on. You know, that gives them a Mike linebacker. That gives them their Bobby Wagner. I mean, Jacksonville's problems on defense are all solvable if these great players that they've signed play great. If the guys that they think are good are really good. It's all going to come back to my man. And how can we get through a podcast without talking about my man, Blake Bortles? Of course. Who's going to really put dedicate himself this offseason to another having a great year. He's tired of losing. Yep. That's really what it's all going to come down to. Because this defense never gets a chance to play with the lead because you know why? Blake never gives him the lead, and that's what the, really the Seattle defense is all about. 2015 Blake Bortles, if you're out there, we're looking for you. Mike, Mike Lombardi's <laughs> no, got his... Blake he, he, <laughs> no, that's the, we don't want him, Tate. He's the guy that he'd leave, he would He's lead better the than NBA 2016 rebounding. Blake Bortles. That's all, you know, yeah, we're just trying I mean, to get he, something. He led the league in rebounding on missed free throws. I mean, that's what he did. The game's over, and he's throwing touchdown passes. You know, it's like calling. T- it's like what people do with the QB quarterback rating, and on uh, you know, they throw those one-yard touchdown passes, and oh, they yeah. mean so much. It helps your quarterback rating. That was all Bortles was six, fifteen years, no doubt. Poor Bortles. He can he can never get a nice compliment from Mike Lombardi. Maybe one day. Hey, look, if he plays good, I'll be the. I'm, I'm sure you'll be dialing my number right away. You know, I mean, I, I got no problem admitting I'm wrong. I mean, that's part of you know the <laughs> thing about scouting is, and this is really important as we enter the NBA draft. If you ever talk to a scout who tells you he's never been wrong, he's a bad scout. Yeah. Because we can only learn from our mistakes. We can't learn from the successes. We have to learn from our mistakes. And what happens is, I learned this a long time ago. I was in. I was one time. I was sitting in a in a in a, uh, a film room in Washington State, and I'm watching tape, and I'm and the scout from the Philadelphia Eagles comes in, and he says, and I'm like, and I, I'm you know a young young scout working for the 49ers, and I say to the scout, I said, hey man, great draft, you got Randall Cunningham. We should have never taken Randall Cunningham. He's terrible. He sucks. So what do you mean? I was with Randall Cunningham at UNLV. He says, oh, he's terrible. We should have never taken him. He can't play. He's not even a good punter. So I think he's really a good player. We said we should have taken Darren Gilbert from Cal State Fulton, the offensive tackle who went to the Saints. And uh, I said, well, I think Randall's going to be a good player. No problem. I leave. I do my film. He leaves. Yep. I, I misgraded Ruben Mays, just FYI for the record up there, because Ruben Mays was at Washington <laughs> I like your humbleness mis- here. This is nice. I misevaluated Ruben. Okay, so anyway, so I leave there. You know, five, six years later, I'm the player personnel general manager of the Cleveland Browns. I get a letter in the mail. Tate, I get a letter in the mail from this scout from the Eagles. Mm. You know what he told me in the letter? What? He discovered Randall <laughs> Cunningham. <laughs> he I love that. Him. Yeah. 
I love that. No a, one else saw him. No one else. No, no one, one else recognized could the talent. Recognized the talent, and that I should hire him immediately. What did he think I was a chooch that I didn't understand? That I didn't remember that he had told me this like five years ago. What did he think I'm an idiot? Oh man, that's anyway, great. That, not to get off the subject, but that's the point. The point is, if you don't admit you're wrong, you can never you can never grow from them. You've got to learn from your mistakes, and the best mistakes are when the other teams make them. So when if you like a player. Like I like your guy from North Carolina in the in this draft, the big tall kid, the long guy that that really took away Monk and the Gaff Jackson, right? Yep. I like him. If if I'm wrong <laughs> on him, I don't I don't like him for the first pick in the draft or anything like that. I think he's going to be a really good role player. If I, I got to figure out if I'm wrong on him, you got to figure out why you're wrong. If somebody else takes same thing with Isaac, I think Isaac it could be great. Yeah. And if I'm wrong on him, you got to figure out why you're wrong. You can't constantly pat yourself on the back. Scouts that pat themselves on the back, bad scouts. The only scout that I know that that constantly is correct is the uh, the Clint Eastwood character from Trouble with the Curve. He never got anything hey, that's right. right. That's always, it. yeah, never wrong, never wrong. <laughs> he always knew. He always knew. Uh, let's stay in the AFC South. Another big name that finally got signed this week. He finally got his dream to come true. Eric Decker is going to the Tennessee Titans. He's going to be in Nashville. His wife's going to have a TV show on CMT. I'm sure she may already have one. I'm not, I'm not even sure about any of this, but I feel like that was the reason he really wanted to go there. But uh, Marcus Mariota gets an actual target on the outside. For people that don't remember, Eric Decker, he had uh, the third most uh, touchdowns for wide receivers between 2012 and 2015 uh, with 41. Des Bryant and Brandon yeah, Marshall right. are Peyton the Manning guys. Playing quarterback. Yeah, Peyton yeah. Manning was the quarterback. The guy named Peyton Manning, who was a Hall of Famer, was a guy throwing in the ball. People forget. I- but uh, Eric Decker, is this good signing, for him? Yeah. I don't get the signing for the Titans. I don't. You, you spend the fifth pick overall in the draft for Corey Davis. Yep. This is what Parcells would call a progress stopper. Like, if Parcells was running the Titans, there's no way he'd sign Eric Decker. Because he would make all the – Corey Davis has got his earnest keep. Like, okay, Eric Decker can't be the fourth receiver on the team. Because he's never going to play in a kicking game. He's never going to do anything. So now you got Eric Decker, you got Harry Douglas, and you got Eric Weems. You got three guys over thirty on their roster. Mm-hmm. Okay, Weems is the only one who plays in the kicking game. So say you cut Douglas, who played in the slot last year, but you got young receivers that need to play, and the only way they're going to play is by them being on the field. I mean, Decker one time was a really good player. Now he's coming off of he's got what hip and shoulder injuries that he's yep. coming off of, yep. and here's the true test. When they play cover five man, which is two deep man under, on third and six, which everybody kind of plays, especially against a quarterback that can't run, because when you play that coverage and the quarterbacks stay in the pocket, then you, you pretty much can lock them down. You know, people try to play it against Peyton quite a bit, but Peyton would run the ball against them, or he would be fine. He had receivers that could separate. They weren't worried about him taking off and running. You mm-hmm. play a running quarterback against cover five, he takes off for first downs because everybody's back's turned. So when they play cover five against Decker and he can't separate and he can't make it easy for Mariota, they're going to sit there in Tennessee saying, we should have gone young. And I think that's this is a mistake. I think this is one of those where the coaches are down there saying, hey, we got to get a veteran guy in here. we got to get a veteran guy in here. And everybody gets impatient. And everybody doesn't have enough faith in their evaluations to say, you know what, Sharp could be a good player. We're going to go with Sharp. We're going to go with Tywan Taylor. We're going to let those young kids play. And we're not going to try to find a way to force somebody in here. I think the Decker signing, everybody at the Jets is saying, oh, the Jets are tanking because they cut Decker. Decker's not going to be able to get open against cover five. So what do you care? What I'm you know, and it, yeah. 
I'm I'm just a little it shocked. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the whole I feel like the whole spin on the Decker situation, at least from what I've seen, is that the the Eric Decker is the final piece to make this Titans a complete offense. That's it's what a it, joke. It's a joke. It's yeah. I don't it's understand comical. where that comes from. I don't know what his piece is, but he's obviously not speed. That's you know they I guess they already have no, that. No, he's what got size, saying. and I think he, you know he's a red zone touchdown guy. I'd rather have Anquan Bolden. Yeah. I'd rather say you know what I want to get this tough sob in here because there's no one tougher in the National Football League than Anquan Bolden. He can't run either okay he cannot mm-hmm. run a lick but he can push off he can catch the ball and he'll make your team tougher if you want Corey davis to be a great player sign anquan bolden and then you know what anquan bolden is he's the big slot receiver the giants drafted evan ingram in the first round they're the same position bolden even though ingram can run they're the same position they put a bigger receiver in the slot i think the decker signing i think it's nostalgic it's wonderful i think it's a bad signing do you think it's for fans? Do you think fans will come out to watch Eric I, I Decker? I think it's for coaches. I, I could see it now. I could see the coaches in the building running down there. We got to have a veteran guy. We got to have a veteran guy. All these young guys, you know, we got to have a veteran guy. We got to get a guy in here who can play. You know, it's Marcus needs a veteran guy around him. We need a guy. Everybody's panicked. You got three guys over thirty, but nobody looks at the roster. Like you can't sign Decker. Okay, when you when you sign a veteran like this, you got to look at your forty-five man. All right, and you got to say he's going to dress every week because if he's not dressing, if he's if he's dressing, and he's got to play in a kicking game, somebody's got to cover punts and kicks from your receiver core. You just can't do it, and that's where the coaches, and that's not their job to know this. Yeah. The coaches don't care about they they don't care about who makes the team. They don't care about who's on special team. They care about having as many guys that know what to do. And I, and I just think to me, unless you tell them no that they don't, you don't want, you can't do it. Because sometimes when you do this, you find a player. But when you sign Decker, you don't find players. You stop progress. And Parcells is right. And that's why, that's why the good teams, the teams that understand player development, won't do this. And the other thing is, too, now, is you're on the hook for Decker. You know, yep. Once he makes your opening day roster, you own him. Mm-hmm. So when he stinks in December and he can't run worse than he did, you've got, he got to play him. There's no more. You, you own him. You yep. own him. He's on your team. And then, you know what? You own him for his injuries. And then you own him for all the other problems that come with him. It's a huge financial commitment by doing this that the risk doesn't outweigh the reward. I'm hoping that he just becomes a country music star while in Nashville. I hope he does, too. Yeah. Look, I, look, I like country music. I hope he does. Maybe he'll be replace Alan Jackson as the next country star. I don't know. Maybe he and or, Mike Malarkey will do like the new Super Bowl shuffle. It'll be like toned down a little country, you know? They need something in Tennessee. I mean, but they don't. They don't need this. I mean, they just spent the fifth pick. They just spent the fifth pick on Corey Davis. They overdrafted Corey Davis by twenty spots, at yep. least for me. Like, why would you now sign Decker? And do you think that like, send, do you think it sends a weird message to Corey too, where he's in this position where because there's been a lot of reports in the offseason that he and Mariota have been getting along and building a rapport, and then they bring in Decker, and he's like. Hold up. No, now they'll, probably the- sell, they'll, they'll sell it as look. Hey, we brought Decker in to help you. He's going to show you how to be a good player. You know, all that, you know, it's like, okay, when the Jets cut David Harris, they said he was the leader in the locker room, right? Yeah. Okay, well, what's Bowles getting paid for? Yeah. What's Bowles get paid for? If, if Harris is the leader in the locker room, why are the Jets paying Bowles four and a half million? Well, Bowles has, million? Bowles has a word limit every day. He has like 25 words he can but, use. But he has a command about him. He gets, you know, he can lead players. That's what, that's what cracks me up about whether well, he was a leader in the locker room. The leader is the head coach. You make new leaders. Head coaches make new leaders. The Jets will find new leaders. They don't need David Harris. And besides, when you get in a situation where a guy can't be on the field all the time, then he can't be a leader. Yeah, You can't be a leader if you're not the best player. Leaders can't be role players. 
the utility third baseman can't be a leader of the team. Yep. He don't have enough cre- he don't have enough street cred. Yep. You know? I mean Marlowe couldn't take over the wire until he until he ran the corners. You know, he just can't do it, right? Yeah. The only the only leader I know from behind the scenes was Mark Brunel, uh, with Mark Sanchez back in the day. That's the only one I can remember. Yeah, and that worked out well. Did he teach him how to butt fumble? <laughs> he taught him a lot of things that did not work out well for him. All right, Lombardi, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. Let's do a little bit of yeah. a word on the street of what's going on. Uh, first story, first thing that uh, really struck me that's going on in the world. Jerry Jones, the Jerry Jones himself, the man that invented Jerry World, is set to meet Pope Francis. Uh, can you believe this oh Jerry God. Jones is going to meet the Pope? How excited is he? I love it. Do you think he brings up Hail Mary or huge jumbotrons first? I hope Jerry, I hope the Pope don't get on the bus. I hope the Pope doesn't get on the bus. And I hope the Pope blesses all the bus sins. I hope it does. It'll be hilarious. I, I mean, look, Parcells is one of the great lines about Jerry Jones that he could talk a he could talk a cat off the top of a fish truck. God, could you imagine what he could possibly tell the Pope? Aye. This could be a mess. I mean, there there is really. I mean, in the NFL, the guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'll say this. I'll stand. The guy's done a tremendous amount for the Hall of Fame. When I was in Cleveland and we went to the playoffs. It was the 89 season. We went down to Dallas and worked out the facility. Jerry had just became the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, and he took over the Cowboys facility. Uh, and that they had basically, they were so financially strapped that they closed the wing of the building so they didn't have to heat the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, and eventually he turned that franchise in, and now he's got that, that incredible stadium. So. Look, I think Jerry's great. I, I love him. I think he's entertaining, and I would love to be a fly on the wall, him talking to the Pope. I can only imagine what the topics of conversation would be there. It, it could it, only be so good. Yeah, oh, my God. So great. I, uh, I think it would be great to ask the Pope, where is Arkansas? Like, could you imagine? Oh, <laughs> uh, the poor Pope. He, he would have to ride in his little you know, glass chamber car through Arkansas and all, all the people with their Jerry bolo ties. Jerry might give him a bus. Yeah, he definitely Jerry might would. give him a, like a cowboy, a cowboy Pope mobile. And the biggest iPad he's ever seen to watch himself, you know, because that's what he would expect. Uh, another big story out there, Tom Brady, a.k.a. the Ted Danson of football, says he plans to play football in China. Uh, you know, there's no, there's, no, there's no game scheduled at the moment, but Tom Brady wants to play football in China. Um, what do you think about that? Does that mean Tom Brady's playing until he's 50, 60? He could. I mean, he could. I mean, you're too old to remember the movie Cocoon where they, these old people in an old home would go to this pool and become young again. Yeah. I think Tom Brady must have a pool somewhere where he's doing it because he keeps talking about playing in China. The, the question I have is why we haven't developed the German market. When the World League was going good, the German market was huge. Berlin, Frankfurt, the German people love the NFL. That's the market I'm surprised we really haven't tried to really enhance because that market was, was the one team, was the one area where football boomed in the World League. And the you know they've tried to do China before. I think it was 2007, right? The Patriots before that the the undefeated season until they were you know until the Super Bowl. I think they were supposed to play someone in China in 2007. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they've tried to do this before. So Brady's Brady's heard this whole thing. I just thought it was interesting that you know there is nothing scheduled at the moment, and uh, he plans to play in China. So for anyone wondering what Tom Brady's plans are for the future, it is to play football in uh, as many continents as possible. Uh, final story. Um, that you may find interesting, uh, Lombardi. O.J. Simpson's parole hearing is set for July 20th. O.J. Simpson could 
could come back to football, not to football in general, but just back to the world and the freedom of the world. Uh, what do you think about OJ? Uh, and and <laughs> I can't believe that this is already here that OJ's having trial uh, and could have. His I can't believe here. it either. I, yeah. I can't imagine that he could get out. And and if I were OJ, I if if OJ gets out, you almost have to think he's got to go to Buenos Aires or somewhere and yeah. get out of the country to get his passport. That would be an interesting. I mean, because first of all, you imagine. I mean, TMZ would just be it would follow his every move. I mean, there would be everybody would be all over it. I, I just don't know. I don't see it happening. But look, I don't know the legal ramifications yeah. of what what all came down. I know this. There's there's uh, th- there's a time and place for everything. But I would have a hard time believing that it would be safer on the outside than it is on the inside. Yeah, he's probably going to be upset when he finds out Cuba Gooding Jr. played him in a movie, but that's that's <laughs> that's here nor there. Oh, uh, you know he knows that. He's probably seen it on TV. Yeah, that's you true. Know, that's true. He's probably seen He's probably got a flat screen in his cell. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, all right, Lombardi, anything else? You got any parting thoughts for no, uh, no, Mark? I'm excited fights? for the draft. I'm excited for the draft. Uh, are you going to be covering it? We got it? I'm yeah. worried about Simmons a little bit here. I'm worried about him. He's got the third pick. I'm worried about him. When they draft Jason Tatum, I'm just going to tell him that uh, don't get his hopes up because Tatum, Tatum is good, but he, uh, I don't know, he's a little overrated in my opinion. I, I, I want to see how that plays out. That, that's my well, only thing to say to Boston opinion, fans. Give your opinion and just remember, when you're wrong, you learn from it. That's all that matters. Yeah, you, you, I just want to be a scout. You know, I, I got to learn then from my wrong. Don't send me a letter that you love <laughs> that you love Tatum five years from now, please. I said I was going to send you a text uh, next year when he wins Rookie of the Year, and I'm going to say I <laughs> thought right, Tatum good. was pretty good. I actually yeah, liked him. He's a good I love scorer. That guy. Yep. All right, Tate. Have a great one. All right, Lombardi. That's it for this edition of GM Street. We will actually be out for the next two weeks. We're going to take a little vacation, take a little break. Uh, so we'll come back after the July 4th holiday. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter. I'm Tate Frazier on Twitter and Lombardi. I'm Lombardi NFL. I just can't wait to see your reaction. I mean, it's kind of it's not as exciting now that Fultz, you already know you're going to draft him, but um, it still will be fun. Another number one pick for Philadelphia. Like, you know, the thing I do like about Fultz, Fultz, you know, Fultz talks a good game. He wants to be good. To me, that's at least he came in there like he didn't come in like a prima donna. He came in there like, hey, look, I, I want to be a good player. I want to be a great player. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Now we'll see if he'll back up those words. I hope so. Uh, I believe it. Look, Allen Iverson got drafted not too long ago, and, and you know it's the number one pick as a point guard. So there's there's been good signs for Philadelphia. So maybe there will be another one. All right, Tate. Yep. Thanks, Lombardi. We'll be back soon. All right. Bye bye.